Welcome to the Refine Your Health podcast with Dr. Dion. I'm a primary care physician, and now I can happily add podcaster. Tune in to each episode to hear great information on improving health outcomes, disease prevention, and overall community health advocacy. Thanks for listening. Now let's jump into today's episode to improve your health. Hello, listeners. This is your host, Dr. Dion, and thanks for checking out this episode of Refine Your Health. For my loyal listeners out there, welcome back. And for you all who may be checking out the podcast for the first time, thanks for listening. And if you find the information to be helpful, please make sure that you subscribe so you can get the latest episode as soon as it is released. And please feel free to share the podcast with friends and family so they can get information that will be helpful to them as well. So let's just jump right into our episode for today, and that is respiratory syncytial virus. You may be wondering why I would like to talk about this particular virus for this episode. If any of you have been listening or, you know, checking out the news, is that recently there has been a peak of RSV or respiratory syncytial virus within the community. And this has been overwhelming emergency rooms, hospitals, especially children's hospitals. And the reason that is, is because RSV impacts children more so than adults as far as it relates to potentially severe infection. Some of you may be wondering, okay, is RSV a new virus? No, it's not. So let me give you a little bit of background about RSV. Now, RSV is a common virus that usually causes mild-like cold symptoms. Now, RSV can be serious in infants and older adults, but for this particular episode, our focus will be on children. RSV is the most common cause of bronchiolitis, and what I mean by bronchiolitis is inflammation of the small airways of the lung, as well as it is the most common cause of pneumonia, which is an infection in the lungs, and RSV is the most common cause of these infections in children less than one year of age in the United States. Now, a statistic that I came across on the CDC or the Center for Disease Control website states that some infants and young children are hospitalized with severe infection of RSV and less than five years of age, it's estimated that 58 to 80,000 are hospitalized per year. Now, one to two out of every 100 children less than six months of age with RSV may need to be hospitalized. Now you may be asking, what are some of the risk factors for this particular type of severe RSV infection? Great question. RSV risk factors for severe infection may be due to premature birth, low birth weight, children less than two years of age with lung disease, a chronic lung disease or heart disease that they may have been born with. If you have a weakened immune system, meaning that your ability to fight off infection is not at its normal level, you may be at risk if you have a underlying neurological, which is a nerve or muscular disorder, which impairs your ability to swallow or cough and clear you know, mucus or secretions. In addition, secondhand smoke exposure may increase your risk, family history of asthma, as well as crowded living conditions. Now, I don't want to scare too many people that may be checking out this episode because virtually in all children have RSV 
by the age of two years of age. And typically the symptoms are mild, but I wanted to emphasize the risk factors that may result in hospitalization, which you have been hearing about on the news or, you know, heard about it on the radio. Now, the reason that it's becoming more apparent or being more prevalent as far as within the community. Now, many of us are aware that we've recently just came out of COVID restrictions. So you basically have children that would have been exposed to RSV before the age of two and built up some type of immunity or ability to fight off infection compared to now where you're recently coming out of these restrictions and these children have not been exposed to RSV because we are on lockdown, we're in isolation, children were being taught virtually, not too many people were going to daycare. So these children were born during the time of COVID restrictions. Now these children are two years old or a little bit older. Now they're returning to school. The mask mandates have been lifted things of that nature. Now they're getting that exposure that they typically would have gotten before the age of two. Now you're hearing about these kids, two, three, four, getting these infections. And then you add that on top of the children that typically get it during this time because the restrictions are lifted. So that adds onto the number of children that have RSV and may have potentially severe infections, let alone you add individuals that have become infected with the flu virus, as well as those individuals who are still getting infected with COVID also may be taking up hospital beds. So let's just talk about a little bit more. What are some of the symptoms that individuals may have or children may exhibit as far as it relates to RSV? They may have runny nose, decreased appetite, coughing, sneezing, fever, wheezing. So that sounds simply like a cold, correct? However, when these symptoms become severe, as far as impacting your breathing, ability to eat, things of that nature, especially as it relates to younger children, especially infants, they have signs potentially as well of decreased activity, not, you know, taking feedings well, very irritable, not consolable. And you may have issues where they become apneic, where they have pauses in their breathing. That's what apnea means. And so that can impair their ability to breathe. So when you have individuals where they're not able to eat, there's a risk for dehydration, take their feedings, as well as difficulty breathing. So you have what we call respiratory distress. So they need oxygen and things of that nature to help have some support and observation for them to be closely monitored in the hospital. So these individuals that exhibit some type of respiratory distress needs to be evaluated immediately, you know, especially if it's at home, you need to call emergency services so they can be transported to the hospital. Or if they're potentially milder symptoms, like I mentioned, then you can contact your doctor's office or your child's doctor's office, a pediatrician to figure out what would be the next step. However, if there's any signs of respiratory distress, breathing difficulty, not feeding, signs of dehydration where they are vomiting or not taking their feeds or not eating as much and not making tears, dry mouth, dry lips, those potentially be signs of dehydration. So you want to make sure that your child or who may be exhibiting those symptoms are evaluated immediately.
So you may be asking, now that we talked about what RSV is and what are some of the risk factors that may put children at particularly risk for severe infection, let's just talk about how it is transmitted, such as when a person coughs or sneezes that can spread the infection. Any type of virus droplets from a cough or sneeze in your eyes, nose, or mouth can cause you to become infected with RSV if that particular individual has the RSV infection. Kissing the face of a child with RSV, touching surfaces with RSV on it, and then touching your face. So touching frequently touched surfaces. And on certain surfaces such as hard surfaces, the RSV virus can be present there for hours and for more softer surfaces it can be less than that now individuals are typically infectious for three to eight days up to one to two days before they start exhibiting symptoms now as far as ways to transmit the infection we've covered that now as far as ways to prevent it so you know how it's transmitted. So you know the basic things that you would do to prevent it. If you are coughing and sneezing and if it's spread that way through droplets, you want to cover your mouth, cough or sneeze into your arm, wipe it with the tissue and then immediately washing your hands, cleaning and disinfecting frequently touched surfaces. So does some of this sound familiar? Yes, because we've been doing this over the past two to three years in the midst of COVID. So this shouldn't be too taxing as far as what to do as far as preventing the spread of infection, as well as making sure that you wash your hands frequently and avoiding close contact with sick people. And for those individuals who may have sick children or may be sick themselves, you know, instead of going to work or sending your children to school, have them stay at home. You stay at home as an adult if you're ill as well to decrease the spread of infection. And also making sure that you keep your hands off your face, especially if you had uh, touch frequently touched uh, surfaces. So you want to make sure that you wash your hands as well. Now that we discussed some ways to prevent infection with RSV, let's talk about how it's diagnosed. Now there is a RSV test that is pretty quick. It's about 10 to 15 minutes if you get it done at a physician's office or a medical provider's office. And it's typically a nasal or throat swab that detects the virus. It's sort of like a rapid test for RSV and that can provide information quickly to figure out if your child may have the infection. In addition to ways to preventing infection as far as passing or transmitting the virus between individuals, there are some preventative measures that exist for those particular children that are a high risk for infection. And there is a type of preventative medication that's available to young children, especially is uh, recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics to administer to high risk children. And it is called Synergist. And it is based on age and certain health conditions who qualify. So it will be those individuals that are high risk that I mentioned, potentially premature infants, individuals with low birth weight, underlying weakened immune systems, 
chronic heart, lung disease, things of that nature that I mentioned previously. And they will be given this as a monthly injection during RSV season. And RSV is prevalent during the fall and winter months. It usually peaks in the winter time. And so typically individuals that are at high risk will get this preventative measure to prevent them from getting an infection once a month during the fall and winter months, which give them five months of treatment. However, if they do develop RSV during this time, then of course the injections stop. So it's not 100% in preventing, but it does decrease the number of possible severe infections as it relates to this particular vulnerable population. Now, there are research and things on the horizon that scientists are looking into to develop a potential vaccine for RSV, but it doesn't exist yet. But there's always ongoing research in regards to that. Now, as far as treatment, I've kind of touched on that when I was talking about some of the symptoms, but hospitalization is basically more so for observation to give support if there's any type of respiratory distress, such as oxygen, help individuals for as, you know, fluid hydration, if there's risk for decreased feeding or dehydration. Now, I know I provided a lot of information regarding RSV or respiratory syncytial virus, but I hope this gives some clarification of why you're hearing about this so much now in the news and you can go about the appropriate manner as far as preventing and knowing when to have your child or any of your relatives that you know are small children to have them assessed by a medical provider if they start exhibiting any of these symptoms and to potentially have them tested or screened for RSV as well as consider some of the preventative measures that may exist if your child or loved one has the risk factors for severe disease. So I will make sure that I put in the show notes a link to give you like some quick information or facts about RSV through the CDC website. And I hope you find this information to be helpful. And this is your host, Dr. Dion. Take care. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please subscribe and feel free to tell your family and friends to check out the podcast. And remember, this podcast is for educational purposes only and the thoughts and opinions do not constitute medical advice.